Hey everybody, welcome back to our series on joy and grief. Once again, my name is DJ Martin, church pastor here at Parker Ford Church, and it's really good to have you with us on this journey as we explore a life of balance between joy and grief and how living in the balance between those two leads us to a life of love, wisdom, and what I'd like to put forth today is that uh, it also helps us live with em- empathy. So today's talk is uh, joy and grief working through empathy. When I was 16 years old, I moved across the world for the second time. Um, my family were missionaries in the southern Philippines on the island of Mindanao in the city of Cagayan de Oro. And I lived there from when I was 9 to 16. So most missionary kids are younger when they move uh, overseas because families don't tend to uh, move across the world when their kids are already several years into school. But I had a little bit of a different experience than uh, many missionary kids. And I had already gone through third grade when we moved. And so both moving and returning to the States came with challenges, you know, saying goodbye to friends, family, loved one. It was definitely harder for me to move back to the States than it was to go initially. And that's not because I didn't care about my friends when I was younger or anything. I think it was just being 16 years old, being halfway through high school, being in adolescence, doing it for the second time. I had been living at a boarding school um, with a lot of autonomy, um, living in the tropics, and I moved back with my family, back in home with my parents, um, who are awesome, but still came with challenges moving back home. Uh, from living in, you know, the tropics to Missouri winter in the middle, middle of December. So it was a really hard time. I went from a school where I knew every single person to a school where I didn't know a single person with uh, thousands of students, a huge public school from a private school. So needless to say, it was a really difficult uh, time in life. Many of you know that one of the ways I work through things um, emotionally is that I play guitar. I've played guitar since I was 10. I've written music since I first picked up a guitar. I love writing songs. I love playing music. And that is one of the primary ways that I work through uh, pain, that I work through the things that are going on in my life. And um, so my first ever guitar was this beautiful handmade acoustic guitar from the Philippines that my parents had bought me. It wasn't like a crazy expensive guitar or anything, but it was just this really beautiful handmade, one-of-a-kind custom guitar that they had gotten for me that I learned how to play. When we moved back to the States, um, one of the things that I regret that I did was when I, in this time of of pain, um, we were down at my grandpa's house in southern Missouri, and he lives out in the middle of nowhere on 40 acres, so you can't see the next neighbor. Well, one day, I I was really feeling uh, down, and I took that guitar, and I walked out into the woods, and I just smashed it to bits on a pine tree. I mean, like, picture, you know, rock star up on a stage smashing his car. I I went full, like, out of control rock star, and I had this guitar, and I just smashed it till there was nothing left um, but the handle that I was holding on to, the neck of the guitar. The reason why I tell this story is um, because I'm not advocating for people smashing stuff or uh, smashing guitars. That was pretty out of character for me. What it is to say is there's a response that happens in our soul to pain and grief that is visceral and painful. When there's unanswered questions, when there's unsolved problems, um, that is so painful. And what's really unhelpful is when people try to say trite things in the midst of that. When people try to pat you on the back and say, it's okay, or it'll be okay, or it's not that big of a deal, or they try to minimize it, 
It's such a painful thing. In Proverbs 26, 20, it says, singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather and pouring vinegar in a wound. The last thing I needed as a 16-year-old working through that stuff was someone to lecture me um, about that or anything. What I needed was people to sit with me and listen to me and care for me despite the turmoil going on. Thankfully, God sent multiple people into my life who did just that. Primarily, my future wife, uh, Julie, who um, is an incredibly empathetic person and offered me so much healing and grace in that season through friendship, and then we dated, and obviously um, later we're married, but she just sat with me in my pain and listened and explored what I was feeling and did it in such a non-judgmental, empathetic, loving way. Trite, the word trite, um, in English it's an adjective, and, and this is what it means. It's an overused and consequently of little import lacking originality or freshness. So it's a statement that's overused and has little meaning, a lacking originality and, and lacking freshness. In other words, a trite statement is something that's very unhelpful. I think we've all had the experience of being with someone who's going through something that's really difficult and not knowing what to say to them. And the problem is, Probably for many of us, we've had moments where we've said something when we should have just been quiet, and our foot ends up being in our mouth. Um, From both observation and experience, when people are going through deep trauma and deep pain, less is more when it comes to what we say. Even when people say things with the best of intentions, it's usually not helpful. It's so often not helpful. And, and often it's these trite, pithy phrases that you might see crocheted on a wall or you know, stamped on a bookmark or something like that. Just these, these trite statements. One of the books I read last year that was really helpful was by um, uh, an, a professor at Duke University, biblical studies professor at Duke University named Kate Bowler, and she wrote this book called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I Believed. Kate Bowler was diagnosed with aggressive cancer. She has a young son, husband, and these are her reflections on walking through this uh, deeply painful time and some of the experiences she's had as people have said trite things to her in the midst of pain. She has an appendix in the book that lists things that you should never, we should never say these things to someone who's going through suffering. Um, The first on the list is everything happens for a reason. While as Christians we believe that God is sovereign and that he is at work and that he is active, making that statement to someone is like it says in Proverbs chapter 20, it's often just like pouring hot water on them. It's, it's like taking their coat. It's like pouring vinegar in a wound. Um, while everything happens for a reason, it, it might be true in, in the long run. It's not helpful in the short term to say that to someone who's suffering. Another one is don't mitigate, don't minimize what someone is going through. Don't say, well, at least, you know, if someone <laughs> is dealing with chronic illness, don't say to them, well, at least you're not on your deathbed. Well, well at least you have, you know, whatever. That, that's really insensitive and unhelpful. Or the phrase, in my long life, I've learned, 
uh, that that's also not helpful. Um, or God needed an angel when you're talking about someone who died. That's heretical. Humans don't become angels. <laughs> We're humans, and in our resurrected state, we stay human, and that's just a trite, pithy, unhelpful statement. Or I've done some research, and um, we are not experts. Uh, the vast majority of people who are going to watch this are neither medical nor grief uh, counselors, um, licensed therapists. We're, we are not experts and have not done research in this. And so just because you read an article on healthyliving.com or psychology.com or watched a YouTube video does not make you or I an expert. Um, and uh, also the statement, when my aunt or when whoever was going through the same thing you're going through, that can actually be really painful. She also lists in a second appendix to the book helpful statements to say to someone who's going through suffering. Things like just asking a simple question, can I give you a hug? Can I bring you a meal? That gives the autonomy back to the person where they can answer for themselves yes or no. No, I don't really want a hug right now. Or yes, a hug is something I'm longing for. Every person's going to be a little bit different, so just asking goes a long way. Or saying, I'm so grateful to hear about how you're doing. I'm so thankful when you share with me. Or simple statements of encouragement, like you're a beautiful person, you're a strong person. Or just empathizing with them with your words. Oh, my friend, that sounds so hard, that sounds so difficult, what you're going through. Or just, maybe most importantly, the gift of silence. Healing has come in my life um, in traumatic times, primarily through people who are willing to not offer trite statements, but who are willing to sit with me in silence and be with me in that pain. Empathy in English is a noun, and it means the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. In many ways, it's the antithesis of triteness. It's the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. Jesus, of course, is the most empathetic person to have ever lived. If you look at our Venn diagram, we see that when a friend is grieving, it's obviously on the side of the paradigm of grief, offering trite statements, or worse, trying to push someone out of grief even when we have the best intentions, often further cements their position in the grief. So when you try to shove someone out of a place of lament, you end up doing the opposite of what you intend. You often end up causing them more grief and more pain, and they are further cemented in that position. However, joining others in their grief with empathy, with grace, with patience, helps create pathways towards joy, love, and shalom. If you want to help someone move from grief to joy, then join them patiently in their grief. That's what Christ has done for you. It's what he's done for me, and it's what he invites us to do for one another. Again, in Romans chapter 12, a verse we've looked at over and over again, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. 1 Peter 3, finally all of you have unity of mind, show sympathy and brotherly love. In John 11, when Jesus encounters Martha, um, who's just lost her brother, Lazarus, he looks around, he's deeply moved in his spirit, it says, greatly troubled, and then Jesus wept. Hebrews 4.15, we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness in every respect. And Matthew 9.36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Once again, that verse from Proverbs 26.20, singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's cold uh, coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar on a wound. When it comes to walking with others in lament and grief, less is more. 
How, do you, how does Christ empathize with you in your own grief? Does he try to shove you out of it or does he join you in it? And how might you and I learn to show greater compassion towards others today?